You are hanging out with Scooter and this is Let's Chat with Scooter. These are conversations with people that I've come across on my path through this wonderful journey we call life. They're stories I hope will impact you on a personal level, lift you up, educate you, make you smile, or inspire you to reach for your goals and dreams so that you may be the best version of you that you were meant to be. Let's spread the positivity. And now, today's chat. is Let's Chat with Scooter. Today's guest is Becca, and I'd like to welcome Becca to my podcast. I'd like to thank her for taking the time out of her day to uh, talk with us. This is going to be a little bit of a different podcast because Becca's uh, talking to us from her hospital room. Becca, why don't you take some time to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, of course. Hi, guys. My name is Rebecca Ham. I do go by Becca. I'm 20 year. Uh, oh my goodness! I'm 21 years young. Uh, so yeah, that's me. I'm currently in rehabilitation from an accident I have had that I'm here to discuss with you guys. So tell us about the week of the 23rd of January. What was that week like? Alrighty. So that week leading up to my accident, really, it was just a week of work. I work full-time at a car dealership. I sell cars. And so that schedule, I mean, I didn't have a day off. Uh, so really it was just uh, work. And I was really looking forward to the weekend. Like the weekend was planned. Um, me and my boyfriend were planning to go to his boss's lodge. We were going there to ride four-wheelers and to um, like, go to the shooting range so I was really looking forward to this vacation after working a really hard week so that was my week leading up to the accident so I've personally sold cars that is a very difficult job is it not yes it is very very difficult and you just you don't get days off it's you it's 40 hours plus and, and did your dealership do what most dealerships do, where they have a, a minimum that you have to sell in order to maintain your job? Yes. So it was a minimum of eight cars a month. Um, but COVID, they've kind of given us some slack because, you know, we're not getting people into the dealership as much as we would without COVID. <laughs> and it sounds like you're an outdoors person, uh, shooting, four-wheeling. Is that something you like to do? Yeah, you would think so, but no, I'm not really, no, I don't really do that stuff. <laughs> I stay indoors. I'm a homebody. Uh, I do like to go hammocking and sometimes camping, but I never like do like shooting ranges and four-wheeling. It was just something new that I was going to try out, you know? So. Yeah. You always got to take uh, the opportunity to do new things, but... So, unfortunately, Saturday the 23rd, tell us about that. Alrighty, so Saturday the 23rd. So what it was is I had gotten up there at the lodge Friday night, and we went to sleep. We woke up Saturday morning, 
and you know we it started off really good we had a like a cheerful all-around breakfast uh, it was banana and Nutella crepes really good um, and then we did start off the morning riding four-wheelers so it was the very beginning of my vacation my week my weekend vacation so my boyfriend started off driving the four-wheeler we were on one it was a full-sized four-wheeler and I was just sitting on the back seat and he rode around for about 15-30 minutes and all was well we were having tons of fun uh, I loved it like it was it was a blast and I should mention that before I had gotten on the four-wheeler with like intending to drive said four-wheeler I was given a lesson and like I knew how to drive a four-wheeler so I just wasn't hopping on one blindly you know so after my boyfriend was done driving around he was like you want to turn now and I'm like yes yes I do <laughs> so um, we switched he hopped on the back and I got behind the behind the driver's seat and like even still like even knowing that I knew how to drive a four-wheeler my boyfriend he was like okay this is how you go this is how you stop he was giving me like a little brief lesson again um, I think he knew <laughs> um, but then I like I drove around for a good 15 minutes all was well um, and I should say that my boyfriend was giving me a lot of like you go this way you go that way because he was more familiar with the train than I was um, so I was not familiar with the train really at all so after about like 15 minutes all was well I took this back trail that I like unfamiliar with terrain and so I mean it was like a straight shoot like all the way down so I like picked up the pace and I went a little bit faster than I would on the regular trails um, that was my mistake um, because what I didn't see was the corner was coming up really quick and I did not know that there was a corner coming up um, so my boyfriend was behind me he goes Becca you need to slow down like break a little bit um, and like I like I stopped hitting the gas so I slowed down like a lot but it wasn't enough and we were getting closer and closer to the corner and uh, like I, I was panicking and then I was hitting everything other than everything else like that wasn't the break <laughs> so I was like okay I think I'm slowed down enough to I thought maybe I could make the corner so I turned the four-wheeler and that I shouldn't have done that I think we would have been better off going straight but I'm not one to focus on what-ifs uh, but yes I did turn um, and instead of making the corner like I was hopeful for the four-wheeler flipped and it flipped over and over again um, I believe it threw my boyfriend off like like in the very beginning like he was thrown off immediately or his reaction was to like jump out jump off but for some reason my reaction was to hold on to the four-wheeler and like grip I don't know why like I could have I feel like I could have jumped off but um 
yeah, I was holding on to the four-wheeler and I was flipping with it. I want to say, like, it was, like, three or four times the four-wheeler flipped and I, myself, too. And then finally, um, we stopped flipping and then in the end, the four-wheeler did land on top of me. And my boyfriend was really quick like into action he like pulled the four-wheeler off of me almost immediately so yes he was like unharmed uninjured he was fine or it was just the adrenaline and I feel like he threw that four-wheeler like across the field and whatnot um but he he bent down and he was like he's like Becca are you okay are you good and I'm like no no I'm not I'm not like I can't feel anything. I was really, really, like, freaked out at first, of course. And he's like, ah, oh, it's okay. You're just in shock. Just give it a minute and you'll hop right back up. And I told him, I'm like, Lucas, no. I really, I really don't think that that's going to happen. I think something is really wrong. And I need you to call 911 or call an ambulance. Like, get them here because something is really, really wrong with me. And he was like, no, no, you're just fine. Um, I guess he just didn't want to, want to admit to himself that, yeah, something was really, really wrong. And, like, I remember, like, praying to God in that moment. I'm like, God, let me be okay. And it was just that brief prayer, nothing else. And then, like, he bent down. He was talking to me. He did call 911, and he was getting an ambulance on the way. He also called his boss. And his boss's wife, they had to come find us. Like, it was a very large property. So they had to come find us on the trail because, like, it was their property. Like, I was injured on in their four-wheeler four that I got injured on. So they needed to be a part of this. Um, so they finally, fa like, found us. And, like, still to this day, I don't have a time frame on anything. I really should ask my boyfriend on how long everything took. Um... But they got to the scene, and like Lucas was saying, hey, let me turn you over onto your back. And I had told him, I'm like, don't touch me. Leave me exactly, like, where I am. Like, I, like, I knew, like, from watching the movies and, like, TV shows, I knew, like, messing up with, like, a scene or whatever, like, a, like a victim, not like a victim, but, like, a person, like, injured, like, that's never good. Like, don't do that. So, like, I had, like, I, I'm pretty sure that was, like, a really pivotal moment. And that was the moment that actually saved my life, was telling him not to turn me over. Um, but, yeah, he, he listened to me, thank goodness. And he didn't. He left me where I was, which I'm sure he hated because I was probably in the most uncomfortable-looking position. But I didn't care because I was, like, paralyzed at that point point like I couldn't feel anything and I told him at one point I was like uh, I bet you I like I broke my neck I just know I did um but yeah he just kept talking to me and I told him to get my after he called the ambulance I told him to get my parents on the phone because they needed to know what had happened and he had asked me if I was sure and I was like yeah I'm sure like call my parents right now they need to know um but he got them on the phone and I called my mom first, and I, I didn't get an answer, and then I called my dad second, and he, he answered on, like, the second ring, as he always does when I'm calling, 
Um, he was just like, hey, honey. And that really, really hurt my heart. Because, like, he, I know he wasn't expecting the phone call that he got, which was that I was, I've been in a terrible accident. And I, that, like, hurts my heart to this day. Because I know he just wasn't expecting that phone call. Um, but it was Lucas who, like, answered the, hey, honey. And he was like, hey, Mr. Vince, I uh, just wanted to give you a call because we were out here four-wheeling and Becca's, she got hurt. She's been, we've been in a really bad accident and she asked me to call you. And, um, like, I was totally conscious and I was, like, with mind, like, like, I knew of everything happening, like, no brain injury. <laughs> um, I it was lucky, but... Yeah, I, I, he put my down speakerphone, and, like, I was talking to him, and my first response was, like, I'm so sorry, Daddy. Uh, I'm so sorry, and I was so stupid. Um, but, yeah, I just, I didn't know where the break was, so I'm just, I'm sorry. And I kept apologizing, like, it was all my fault, which he tells me to this day that none, none of it was my fault. Um... But yeah, he was just like put Lucas back on the phone and he was like, yeah, just give us another call when she's on the ambulance headed to the hospital. And then we were really worried that the ambulance couldn't back, couldn't get back to where we were because we were in cow country. Um, and we were on, we were on four wheeler trails. So how, how was an ambulance going to get back there? But miraculously, like. I know God had a hand in every single step, like, of the way. Um, so miraculously, miraculously, that ambulance did get back to where I was. And I, I don't know how long it took at all. Like, I know, like, it was quick. Um, but I'll, I'll get, like, a recount of that. But, yeah, they finally got there, and all the EMT guys were rushing out. Um... And they did, like, their job. They were really quick. They were asking me a ton of questions. They were poking me and prodding me, asking if I can feel this, can I feel that. Um, and I was like, no, no, I can't feel that, can't feel that, nor that. So um, they did secure my neck right away. Um, so my neck was secured, and then they did turn me onto my back. Um, I'm like, I don't know what it was. It was just something really hard. And then they transferred me onto something else. And then they were picking me up. And first thing I knew, they were loading me up into the back of the ambulance. And I had asked them if someone was able to come with me because I didn't want to be alone. Um, and they were like, no, sorry, they'll have to follow behind you. And I was like, oh, that sucks. Okay. I really wanted my boyfriend, his name is Lucas, by the way, I really wanted him to come with me. But I knew, like, with COVID, I knew there was, like, restrictions with that. And they might have had restrictions with people riding in the back to begin with. So, they, yeah, they loaded me into the back of the ambulance truck. And the drive to the hospital was 45 minutes away. Um... But yeah, they when once I got loaded in, they had to like go on a crawl because everything was really bumpy, like trying to get out of like all these four wheeler trails. 
so they had to go really really slow in the beginning and once they hit out on the main roads is when they were like picking up lots of speed <laughs> kind of like i was on that four-wheeler trail uh-huh but uh but yeah and like i i mean i was talking to them we held up conversations all while they were like um trying to assess my injuries and then i heard like a pair of scissors cutting up my clothes and i was like hey what are you doing and they're like honey we have to cut off your clothes to um assess all your injuries and i'm like oh okay well as long as you guys are okay with me charging you money for that because this is not for free <laughs> i was just cracking jokes trying to make light of the whole situation um, and they laughed, which made me really happy. Um, uh, as you can tell, I'm definitely a people pleaser. Um, but yeah, once they did that, I mean, they covered, they kept me covered, uh, the whole time. Um, and then we were just talking, you know, they had called my parents. They, my mom was on the other line by this time. And they were just letting her know what was up, giving her an update. Um, and I guess, like, they couldn't really find any other, like, injury on me. Um, until, like, I started complaining about pain in my right ankle. And they're like, go good, that's really a good thing. That you are feeling pain right now. And I was like, oh, I'm glad that's a good thing. <laughs> um... And then they said I started wiggling my toes on my left side, and they're like, oh, great, that's even a greater thing. That's so such a good thing. And I'm like, ah, cool, I feel so accomplished, and wiggling my toes and such. Um, but then we finally got to the hospital, to the emergency, or the, mm, the emergency place where they take... Yeah, the ER room. Yes, ER, thank you. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we got to the ER, and then I was getting unloaded, and like, I don't know, I hated not being able to look around, because all I could do, like, strapped up with my neck secured and such, like, all I could do was look up and, like, trust my peripherals to take in all my surroundings. Um, but yeah, once I hit that e uh, the ER room, I had lights, lights flashing in my eyes, and people asking me a gazillion questions and I mean I answered to the best of my ability it was again a lot of poking and prodding asking if I could feel this and feel that and to which I said no um even though I was wiggling my toes in the ER like I still like or in the ambulance I'm sorry I still couldn't like feel things and like I was feeling that subtle pain in my ankle but that seemed to have passed too um but then at one point, um, this is probably TMI, and I could probably leave it out, but, I mean, it's what I went through. Something was stuck up my butt. Um, I guess they were trying to check a reflex or something. I don't even know. But, yeah, that was a little weird, but I guess they gotta do what they gotta do. Um, I did feel that, <laughs> by the way. Uh, so I guess that was good news, too. Um, but, yeah, but then they were transferring me onto another, like, bed, and it, I guess it was one of those little cold metal things, like, I wasn't feeling it, but, 
I could imagine where I was being transferred on to. Because I've seen, um, what's that famous doctor show? The Grey's Anatomy? Or... Grey's Anatomy, yes. Oh my goodness. But yeah, like I've seen that. Uh, I know what goes down. Um, but yeah, and then they brought me into the x-rays and I got everything x-rayed and they took me into like this full body MRI uh, or CT scan, something like that. The one that, the machine that's really, really loud. So they put earplugs, the guy who put earplugs in my ears, like he did not put them in all the way. So like when I was put into that, um, the machine, like it was so loud and it was so annoying. And I was like, I was feeling like immense pain because what it was is I really, really had to pee. And they were telling me, they were like, just go. Like, you can go where you're at. Like, that's a good sign if you can go. And, like, I was like, fine, okay, I'll go here. Uh, And I tried, and I tried so hard because I did. I really had to pee, but I could not, like, I couldn't, I couldn't go pee. And I kept, like, having that full bladder was out of everything. Like, I didn't know at the time, but then I, I, like, I knew. Uh, But I didn't know that I did have, like, a fracture in my spine um but like that full bladder was the worst pain um and then finally I wish I remembered her name but bless her as soon as they pulled me out of that CT scan she like put like the catheter thing and then I was able to go pee and then I felt like immediate relief um so that was fantastic and then I went back to just feeling nothing or just feeling tingles all over my body, kind of like when you hit your elbow. Um, like your funny bone. Yeah, your funny bone, or when your arm's waking up from being asleep. That's what I was feeling all over my body, at least from the neck down. Um, but yeah, then they were like discussing amongst each other, and all I could do was try to listen, and all I could do was look up, and... I guess it was decided um, that I had to go into immediate operation because spinal cord fluid was starting to leak everywhere, I guess. I don't know. Um, And uh, by God's grace, like the best neurosurgeon like in the region was there. And she was the one that was going to be doing my operation. Um, Her name was Dr. Tooley. But yeah, they were rolling me in, uh, rolling me back to the operation room. And I just remember her telling me that I had to be awake for the first part of the operation. And then um, she had my mom on speakerphone above me so I could see the phone and I could hear my mom's voice. And Dr. Tooley was going on and on about the like the side effects and the the risks the like the risks yes so yeah she was listing all of those and I did I kind of zoned out because the list was really really long (laughs) um and I just let my mom like take care of that uh I was just ready to go get my procedure done and you know get better um and stay alive really was my main goal Um, but I did remember one thing that she told me, 
was that I was going to be paralyzed from the neck down. That I wouldn't be able to feel anything from the neck down. And I remember her telling me that, and I was like, I kind of sunk in, like it sunk in immediately. Like I almost kind of knew that would have been like a thing, and I was prepared for it. And I was like, yeah, okay, all right, let's just go in here, do what you can. And my mom was crying on the phone above me. She's like, she's just in hysterics. Um, But yeah, they rolled me into the operation room. They ended the call with my mom. And then they rolled me back. And Dr. Tooley, she was notifying me that I had to be awake for the first part of the operation. And what that entailed was a halo being screwed into my head. Um, and then a doctor and her pulling on either end, uh, to straighten out the fracture to my C5 vertebra. So that was scary, and I'll kind of tell you about that. But, uh, she said, yeah, that's what you're going to be awake for, and yes, it's going to be painful, but I need you to be awake. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess, that's cool. I don't know, like, I had no other, like, option. I couldn't be like, no, like, absolutely not. Um, I was, like, I was okay with, like, everything that was happening. But, yeah, like, when I got back there, there were just, there were so many doctors and so many nurses in the room, like, preparing for the, the, um, the procedure. Uh, and they were just doing all their doctor talk, like, how much of like anesthesia I would get and whatnot. And so I was just laying there, just trying to look around, listen to everybody's conversation. And then I think it was about tw- 10 minutes until they like got down to business. But yeah, Dr. Tooley sat down at my head and they did like put anesthesia on and like they did numb where they were screwing the nails into my head. The screws, I don't know. <clears throat> I guess you can't screw nails. You can screw screws. Um, my mistake. Um, but yeah, but it's so hard to explain. I guess it's four screws that they screw in, into your head, like two on the sides, and then two in the back. And so the ones on the sides, like I. Like, just to hear her cranking and screwing the screws into my, like, head, that was kind of really traumatic all in itself. Um, and I could feel, like, I could feel it going into my skull. And it was just such a strange, like, sensation. Um, but, yeah, I could... She got the, those four done, finally. Um, I was just there enjoying along for the ride. <laughs> Um, and then, like, I saw the doctor sitting at my legs, and he started pulling, and Dr. Tully started pulling on the halo around my head, and, like, I could feel, I could feel, like, being pulled, and I guess they were able to straighten out that fracture, and then, like, after that, I was just completely put under, and then the procedure lasted seven hours, um, Dr. Tully. Um, She went in from the back as well as the front. So that was like one of the risks of laying on my face during the procedure that I was like a 30% chance 
um, at risk for a stroke during the procedure as well as like 48 hours after um, something like that um, so I wasn't like totally in the clear until 48 hours after my procedure um, and really don't take my word for that um, I don't know if I'm actually correct on that um, but yeah I woke up and I guess I was coming in and out of con. This is after my procedure. I'm in my hospital room. I'm fixed. Like, my neck is no longer broken. I have a lot of hardware in my neck and whatnot. So I'm good at this point. Um, but I woke up, and I remember I was just in and out of consciousness. My uncle and my aunt were on the side of me. And I just remember seeing them and trying to talk and, like, them talking to me. And I was just out. And then the next time I woke up, um, thankfully it was like I was waking up out of my little fog. Yeah, my fog. (laughs) And my parents were at my bedside. And my first thing I had said to them was, I'm so sorry you guys had to come out here. Because during my seven-hour surgery... They were driving the nine hours it takes to get to me because I lived in Florida and they lived in Louisiana. So they were driving this entire time and I just couldn't imagine what they were going through. Um, because honestly, like I, I wasn't feeling anything. It's not like I was in like such great pain, like, and I'm heavily medicated. So I'm like pain free, but they're just with their minds were the minds there or the places their minds were taking them to I'm sure was just really not good I felt so sorry about that because I know that they love me and I know that they were afraid that they were gonna lose me and that really hurt me (laughs) um so yeah the first thing I said was sorry and I just kept apologizing and of course they were like no you have nothing to be sorry for And then, uh, the first thing I was doing when I woke up, or a while after anyway, was I was wiggling my toes and I was moving my fingers and my arms. And that was really a great thing because I was supposed to be paralyzed and I wasn't. And I was really happy. Like, I know, like, it was, like, by God's grace that I was not paralyzed and like, by my own stubborn will that I was not paralyzed. And just for the amount of people that were praying for me, I just, there's power in prayer. And I knew that helped <laughs> my not being paralyzed for the rest of my life. But, yeah, um, as soon as, like, everybody was saying that I'm able to move things, uh, they called my neurosurgeon. She was like, wow that's amazing like I'm so glad like you're moving that's just insane to me because she was she told me I was gonna be paralyzed but yeah they started physical therapy the second day and I think the day after my surgery I was standing on a four-person assist um and then like I I was in that hospital in Florida for 16 days and Sorry, I had to clear my 
congestion because I was getting a little emotional there. Um, but yeah, I was in the ICU for a week. They said I was going to be in there for three weeks, but I was making such good progress that I was only in there for a week. And so they moved me to the floor. Um, and then I was continuing to make progress. I was like transferring and standing and then I was able to gain control of like my my like bowel movements and like urination like which wasn't supposed to happen for a really long time and I was just shocking everybody around me because I was doing so many things that I was not supposed to be doing and then we got like handed off places from the hospital of all these rehabilitation centers and my mom called and left a voicemail to Shepherds, which is where I'm at now and uh they called her back and they were like yeah um we would we want her like we want her to come to Shepherds because we can we can do a lot for her um and then she was like given all like the paperwork and everything that needed to be done and uh you got to take that really cool airplane ride oh that 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 was so cool oh my goodness yeah i got to not even it was a jet like usually i was thinking helicopter honestly i was totally okay with the ambulance transport but my parents were not they they were like, no, we want the best for our Becca. And I'm like, oh my gosh. But yeah, they literally put me on a jet. And I, it was like an hour-long flight to Shepherds. And uh, it was cool. Like, I stayed conscious the whole time. And I got to look out the window. And I got to see out of the cockpit. Um, it was left open. It was, it was super cool, and then I got to talk to Jay and Jimmy. They were my nurses on uh, on the flight there, and then up until I was all safe and sound in my new hospital room. Uh, so, yeah, that was really cool. And now I'm here re, re, in rehab, just getting better. I want to comment a little bit about, you know, you, you have a lot of, you seem to have a lot of guilt about, the the accident itself having mm. driven a lot of four-wheelers yeah especially in you know i live out in south dakota and we can go out into the 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 parks it is a hundred percent natural to gun it on straightaways there's always the unknown you, there's no way you could have predicted anything that happened mm -hmm. and um i've rolled a four-wheeler human human reaction is to grab onto things yeah. you know you know the only you did so many things right that you know i don't think you did anything wrong you you knew enough not to have mm -hmm. to be moved yeah. and i think everything that you did is leading up to the fantastic recovery that you're going down and mm -hmm. um no i don't think you did anything wrong and i don't think you <laughs> should hold on to that guilt that's you know, I mean, it happens. Mistakes happen. I think you're handling everything fantastically. Um, you're a wonderful young lady, and you're taking this way better than I would have. <laughs> I, I'm a big baby even when I get a cold, you know. No, I think, I think things are going well. So tell us a little bit about 
what a daily routine for you with your rehab is like. Okay, so um, Monday through Friday, I'm given a schedule every Friday, and that's just a Monday through Friday schedule, and they, oh my goodness, it's just physical therapy up until 8 a.m. in the morning to 4 o'clock, or like coming this, coming tomorrow till like 5.30, boy. But yeah, at 8 a.m. till 4 p.m., I'm just physical therapy session after physical therapy session. And they're not, like, they're not taking it easy on me. Um, <clears throat> but I'm not taking it easy on them either. Like, I love, I absolutely love that they're not taking it easy on me because, like, they're not playing around and I'm not playing around. Like, I'm, I came here to get rehabbed and to walk again. And that is purely, like, my intention. Like, I, like, they tell me to do 30 reps. I'm like, okay, 35 it is. Um, so, like, I'm going above and beyond because I, I fully intend to have a full recovery and to walk out of this place. So, I'm... In the right mindset. Yeah. 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 So, I you love know. It. There's, there's, in my opinion, a small window. I've had a number of injuries. I've car accidents and other things. Yeah. The first injury I had, I didn't take the rehab seriously, and it significantly impacted my mobility. So mm. the fact that you're not taking it lightly is great, mm. and it, it seems like the progress you're making is due to the dedication and you know they they know that they need to get you going and you know that they need to get you going and mm -hmm. yeah all that hard work is going to pay off and you know i want to i want to keep in touch and i want to hear about you completely recovered one day because i'm pretty sure that's where you're headed yeah what's uh what's hospital food like huh um at first like i didn't care like i would eat what they would bring me but now that I'm like been here long enough, like I'm kind of tired of it. <laughs> so like the past two days, me and my mom have ordered out. We got Mexican and then we got Popeyes. <laughs> and I don't think we'll stop ordering out. <laughs> but yeah, I'm kind of like, it's not terrible, but it's not fantastic either. We yeah, desserts they bring. But. Yeah, I've never heard mm -hmm. of a uh, hospital food being a, a requested, uh, right? A requested meal, right? So, how scared were you on the ambulance ride in when they told you that you might be paralyzed? Um. Well, they didn't tell me that I would be paralyzed. It was my neurosurgeon before, just right before operation. She was the one who told me. But, like, during the ambulance ride, like, I wasn't scared at all. I was making jokes. I was just talking, like, I don't making know. Making chit-chat, you know. Yeah, making chit-chat. Like, I didn't have a broken neck. <laughs> so, and, like, when I was told that I would be paralyzed, like, I I was still me. I mean, I was like, oh, well, dang. But, okay, let's do this. Let's get the surgery like, I mean, I just wanted to stay alive for, like, everybody else's sake because I knew that if, like, if I had died, like, I, like, I know where I'm going. 
Um, it's just I know everybody else's lives would be like affected with my absence and and it was that thought that just made me extremely heartbroken heartbreak heartbroken yeah you'd be missed obviously oh sorry i have someone walking in currently no worries you. how you doing it's my it's my hospital food dinner <laughs> <laughs> um Is so that? Um, how long before you're out for outpatient? Um, so they did give me a discharge date of March 30th. So um, that's for inpatient. So then I will be going to outpatient. And they say I'll be outpatient two to six weeks. But me and the progress that I have been making... It very well maybe less than that or just the two weeks because I am like I mean I'm confident to say that I am like with not being able to like walk yet I'm making strides in my like recovery so have you and your family talked about uh you know I know it's really early and mm -hmm. I don't want to be insensitive or anything but your future and what your goals are right so with me like, I'm intending to make a full recovery. It might not, like, be that. So, yes, we have talked about, like, if I'm out of here, out of, like, outpatient, and I still am, am unable to live independently and I still need assistance in some things and help, I will be going back home with my parents in Louisiana for a short while. Um, until, you know, I am able to live independently in which I will go home, but if I am able to live independently, but I'm still like, like maybe in a wheelchair, like as long as I can do things by myself and like my boyfriend whom I live with is able to assist me in like smaller things, then I'll go back home. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's everything. Like even now, like I'm able I got approved for like transfers, so I'm able to get myself and get myself out of bed, in and out of bed. I'm able to go to the bathroom by myself. I can shower by myself. I just need help getting in there. Um, but yeah, like I'm already doing a lot of things by myself. I'm getting dressed by myself, eating by myself. So, I mean, it's already like really looking up to where I'll be able to go home. And it's and it's less than thirty days, and I yeah. think it's I think it's great. What are so you've done a lot of lives and you've had a lot of interaction with the social media. What are some of the questions you get asked a lot that you think the listeners might be interested in? They always ask about my boyfriend. Like I always get questions about my boyfriend. They're like, "Are you guys still together? Um, how's he doing? Whatnot?" Um, my boyfriend, um, he's uninjured from the accident. He's just, uh, like, banged up on the side. He's just feeling sore there. He did go get checked out, um, and it was nothing. He's all good. And, yes, we are still together. We will remain to be together because we both intend to spend the rest of our lives with one another. Um, so there's your answer there. <laughs> one, one quick question. I don't mean to interrupt. Yeah. What is his... You know, you keep apologizing to your family. Does yeah. he feel guilty at all? Or what's his feeling towards the accident? See, that's 
a hard question to answer because he doesn't really talk about me, like talk to his feelings with me. He doesn't talk about his feelings with me, sorry. Um, but I would think that anybody in this situation would feel guilt. So I don't say, I'm not saying that he doesn't feel guilty. He just doesn't talk about it with me. Um, but I noticed that he's not sleeping well at night at all. And he's just burying himself in his work. Like he's working overtime always. And he's staying busy. So he's not, I feel like he's not even giving himself a moment to actually think about what happened. So I don't even know how, if he knows how he feels about it. Uh, I hope um, I hope he does reach out, maybe get some professional um, assistance because he shouldn't mm. feel guilty in any way. Um, right. Accidents happen, you mm. know. You know he obviously did everything he could to prepare you for driving the four wheeler. He sure did. And so you and I and everybody does. I I don't blame him. I wouldn't blame him. I'm sure no. you don't blame him. You know Absolutely I mean? not. No. You know, and I don't think in any way he should feel that way. And if he's listening to this, um, I hope he he doesn't feel that way. And if he does, mm -hmm. he gets some help because yeah. uh, everybody needs to not internalize and suffer in mm -hmm. silence. And Right. And see, um, he doesn't know this, but, like, I don't think he should feel guilty at all if he does or if he doesn't. Um, but I, we started going to church and we really like the church that we've been going to. Um, so I have asked someone from that church to really reach out to him and try to talk to him and cause he won't talk to me. And I know that he does need someone to talk to about everything. And then we also live with two roommates and I've asked one of those roommates to like keep an eye on, on him and just ask him like how he's feeling, how he's doing. But I have people, like, keeping an eye on him because if he does feel guilty, I want him to know that he shouldn't and just that it's okay to talk to people. And he does a lot. He has a lot of friends, so I'm sure he hasn't gone without talking to somebody by this point. Yeah, and it's okay for him to feel the guilt, you know, and as men in general are not known for their emotional sharing yeah. abilities and um <laughs> so um hopefully he does uh allow others to talk to him and he opens mm -hmm. up because i've been through a lot in my life and you know verbalizing the things that you're going through does help yeah um and it it relieves a lot what are some ways you're coping is it music tv well i'll tell you and you said social media like i'm like, I found, like, a big outlet for me is TikTok. Um, I've, I've never, I've always had, like, I have had a TikTok, but I've never been on the side of, like, the creator end. I've always watched other people's videos. Um, and so, um, I think, I don't know how many days it was after my accident, but... I made my first video and it was about my accident and all my videos since then have been about my accident and just how I'm doing in my like steps in recovery and it's kind of like journaling because I can't really write like right now because mm -hmm. my 
my right hand doesn't work and my left hand does but I'm not left-handed so it's uh we're in a situation so TikTok is kind of my way of journaling and then I go live every night and I tell people like how my day went what I did during my day so going live every night is journaling to me so that's kind of my outlets and it's been it's been important and then also catching up on sleep <laughs> I think it's great that you are sharing your steps one mm -hmm. it's helping you as like you said an outlet two mm -hmm. it's it's definitely motivating for me and I hope it's motivating for other people um, mm -hmm. your positive outlook is one of the reasons I reached out to you and I wanted to help spread your story because you're amazingly positive and I think it's great mm -hmm. I love your content seeing the x-ray of your neck was uh yeah definitely crazy you know just seeing how much damage there was and how well you're doing and in in mm -hmm. the 30-day time frame that we're at at this point and i do hope you continue to let everybody know how you're doing uh -huh. you know i know you got a gofundme page hopefully you maybe uh you get a p.o box so people can send you some cards because i know there's a lot of people wishing you well uh, you have a yeah. lot of followers and the support that I have gotten from TikTok is like amazing like I like making that first video of course you never think things are gonna blow up but that first video that I made like I was only introducing myself and just saying hey I've been in an accident if you want to like hear my story let me know and I'll tell you and like I kind of that was me kind of like, hey, if you let me know, I'll tell you. But I was going to tell my story regardless um, whether or not that video blew up. But, like, yeah, it did. It blew up. And just the following that I've gotten and the support that I've gotten was it's just so amazing to me. And I, I just, I love it. I eat it up. <laughs> but it's also really important for those out there that want to help you to mm -hmm. I'll have the links to your GoFundMe and your social media in the description for this podcast because obviously this was definitely an unexpected expense and um, yeah. not cheap by any means yeah, nope not at all <laughs> so what are what are some things that you've taken out of this experience that you think you could others should know um, just to, like, I know everybody goes through hard times, like, even before this accident, like, with my work schedule that I had, I was getting so stressed out, and I was always thinking, like, negatively, and I was always feeling down and feeling stuck. Um, just having this accident just made me realize just everything comes down to, like, a choice, like, I could have chose to stay in bed and not move my arms and not do what my physical therapists were telling me to do. I just, everything comes down to a choice. Um, so I chose to get up and get moving because I had a goal and that was to walk again and just get back to my life and get back to my job, which was just, just crazy to me because at, at the end of there, I was getting stressed out by my job. And that's all I want to get back to now. So, um, yeah, it's just everything's a choice. You can choose to be positive about a situation or you can choose to be negative. 
And throughout all this, I've chosen to be positive and work hard and work through the pain. And that's like my message to everybody else is just to remain positive through it all. And even if it's hard to just work through it and I don't know, he'll come out on the other end walking, hopefully running. <laughs> so, yeah. Did you have any hobbies or anything that you were doing? Like, I saw one snippet on your Instagram about you singing. Yeah. See, I do, like, my TikTok and my, like, Instagram. Like, my Instagram name is Ham Solo. Um, so that was going to be all of my singing covers because I just got a setup, set up at home, like a singing setup in the studio, Ableton Live, and... I was planning on starting to sing when I didn't work and just create covers. And that was going to be my content that I was going to start creating. Um, so yeah, that is a hobby of mine. And it's so funny, last time I was in Atlanta, I was auditioning for The Voice because singing is just like a big thing to me and I, I want it. Like, it's something I'm really passionate about, and I would like to go somewhere with it. But, so that is a hobby of mine. My voice is a little raspy, because I did have surgery to the front, and everything moved aside. Um, every, sorry, where was I at? Just talking about how your voice has changed a little bit due oh, to yeah. surgery. So I do have a little practice to get back to my singing. <laughs> um, so that's that's a hobby of mine. And then... I like traveling whenever I can. Like me and my boyfriend will get Airbnbs out in just different places. Maybe it's the same state, but it's just a different area. Just traveling to new places and exploring new areas and trying new foods. Um, but And I really love thrift store shopping. <laughs> Sorry I cut you off. No, I was just going to ask, uh, you're definitely going to get back to the music, correct? Yes, I intend to get back to the music. Make mm. sure you stay in touch. I've got a few friends who uh, do vocals and beats mm. for artists all over the world. And if you ever need assistance with uh, some of your songs, let me know. Oh. Put you in touch. Yeah, of course. Well, that would be cool. <laughs> so what, what most are you looking forward to over the next few months um, as far as life in general um walking <laughs> i mean i'm starting it now and i'm doing walk walking exercises but like getting out of the wheelchair because i'm tired of sitting down all day <laughs> it's I, I mean you'd think you'd love it uh but i'm so tired of it um and I just, I'm so excited in the next, in the upcoming near future um, to get out, out of the wheelchair and walking. I remember I was, uh, after dislocating my hips, I couldn't uh, bend over or do certain things because my hips could pop back out <laughs> while they were healing. And it was graduating from the wheelchair to um, a walker to the crutches and it was like it was like going through school you just couldn't wait to get all the way through you know and graduate yeah i look i look forward to it <laughs> and look forward to seeing you on your uh, social media where 
you're finally up and about and without assistance and yes. um, moving on with your life. Yeah. Um, is there anything that I didn't ask um, that you wanted to talk about before we uh, ended the podcast? Um, no, not really. I think I got the message that I initially want to share like across. I would hope it's just to stay positive. Um, and I think we've, we've covered a lot of the bases. Well, I really appreciate you coming on here and talking to our listeners and sharing your story. I'll post this. And like I said, I'll have your links on there so people can help you out and uh, keep in touch with you and, and how you're doing. Of but, course. Uh, awesome. But so cool. <laughs> thanks so much for being on here. And I really wish you the best. I'll keep you in my prayers. 